Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, good morning, Centerpoint family. Hey, hey, hey. You guys doing good this morning? Yeah? You guys ready for the Word of God? Amen. Well, my name's Aaron. Uh, I have the privilege of being uh, the youth pastor here at Centerpoint. I love Jesus. Just got back from Kenya a little over a week ago. Uh, so I had to bring back some fresh merch from Kenya, you know. I'm pretty sure there's anointing in these cloths, so I'm ready to bring back uh, uh, what God deposited. I, I wish I could share uh, so, so much about the trip. So much happened and so much was deposited in my heart, uh, a different perspective just going uh, overseas and being in Kenya. But I, I will just say this, God is way bigger than we think he is. He's so much bigger than we think he is. Um, we went out with this organization called Empowering Lives International, and a big part of what they do, a big problem in Kenya is actually illegal brewing. So illegal brewing of this uh, toxic alcohol, it's like very dirty moonshine, okay? <laughs> it's called Chang'a, and it, it kills people, it blinds the people that are brewing it, and they get illegal brewers out of illegal brewing and lead them to sustainable God-honoring income. And so what they do is they teach them how to farm poultry, how to farm goats and, uh, and lambs, how to uh, use, you know, get milk from cows and sell it, how to plant trees, plant fruits, plant vegetables, all this different kind of stuff to get these illegal brewers out. And we got to meet actually some of the, we got to, one, we got to minister in the village that this church is sponsoring, right? Which is so cool to see actually what we're giving towards, seeing the ministry 118 little kids coming to receive Jesus. Like, so cool, guys. So cool. But we got to meet uh, one of the, the key, uh, they call him the Women of Change, who was a legal brewer. She says she was a notorious brewer, and now she's notorious for Jesus. Come on, somebody. She said now she's notorious for Jesus, and she has her own church now. And we got to go to this church. It is literally a church up on a hill. You have to hike to it up a hill, okay? It is a wooden building. There are no lights. There is no electricity. They just got plastic chairs, but they do have the Holy Ghost. And we're in there, and Rob was with me. He's got his uh, Kenyan shirt on, too. Uh, and we're in there, and we're singing songs in Swahili. I don't even know what we're singing, but the Holy Ghost shows up in this place. You don't need lights. You don't need instruments. You don't need a special fancy building. The Holy Spirit shows up when you call on him. Amen? And so God is way bigger. I'm so excited to bring back what was deposited in me, and I believe Jesus is just going to, we're being a blessing, but God is blessing this church through the ministry over there. So thank you for partnering with us as well. So you guys ready for the word? I'm excited. Did you see that? That's like a little, I'm doing gymnastics. What's it called? The horse? Anyway, here we go. Uh, so we're in this series called, I'm so sorry. We're in this series called Unlikely Heroes. Um, and I love who God chooses to do his work because everyone that God chooses to do his work is an unlikely hero. God tends to choose people that are weak, okay, that don't have it all together, maybe a little broken, maybe a little, right, messed up, okay, maybe needs some help. God tends to choose people like that because he believes that if he chooses someone who's weak, he can show the most glory out of that person. 
right? And I believe that I was not chosen because I was strong or had it all together. God showed, chose me, right? And he chose you because he saw something he could work with and shine his glory through. And so we're going to be talking about a man, a very a stubborn man, maybe a little bit doubtful of a man, an unlikely hero for sure. His name is Gideon. And we're going to be diving into Judges chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me. Judges chapter 6, and it, it, Gideon has a, a, a longer story. He's got about, about three chapters. And so I'm going to try and dive in as best I can to some highlights or some lowlights of his life and seeing God's faithfulness to call someone who is definitely an unlikely hero. But before we jump in, can we pray together? Is that cool? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are in this place. I thank you that you are present always with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. God, I pray that every word spoken this morning, God, it doesn't come from me, Jesus. It comes from you, God. I pray that hearts would be receptive, minds would be open, and we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to do exactly what you want to do. We want you to move, God. We wait on you. And Holy Spirit, we say move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I got good news for you. Grace is free. That's good news. Someone say amen. amen. Come on. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. amen. Grace is free. It's not your effort. It's not your merit. It's not your accomplishments. You don't earn the salvation of God. Grace is a free gift. The salvation of God is a free gift. And when I said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus, you received that gift, okay, for free. You didn't pay for it. You basically said, Jesus, I believe in what you've already accomplished, and I received the benefits of what you've accomplished. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but I receive your free gift of grace. Amen? Grace is free. What I didn't know when I accepted Jesus, though, which is a little funny, he didn't tell me this up front, okay, is that calling, your calling, grace is free, but your calling has a cost. Your calling costs you something. Jesus says, if any man would want to follow after me, he must what? Deny himself. That means there's actually something that they have to let go of in order to genuinely follow Jesus, in order to step into the calling that he has for you. It's going to cost you something. I have this old CD in my car that has been in there for probably about four years. I don't know where it came from. Okay, I think it was given to me in college. It is the most unproduced voices about a five out of 10 level, but it's just these two ladies singing to Jesus with an acoustic guitar. And for some reason, I haven't taken it out of my car. Okay, they sing like country twang Jesus worship. Okay, and it's very annoying worship, but they have this song. Forgive me, Lord. But they have this song. They're, they're honored. You love them. Okay, they, they have this song that, that always sticks out to me because it has this lyric in it where the, the, the girl sings, she says, how little I knew when I asked you, Lord, to become like you. How little I knew when I asked you to become like you because that kind of life brings a death before a resurrection. <laughs> she says, the kind of life that God calls us to is a type of life that requires a death before a resurrection. God did not come to make bad people better. 
He came to make dead people alive. Okay? He came to create an entirely new creation. And when you step into the calling of God, what necessarily has to happen is some things have to die. Ego, dead. Pride, dead. Sin, dead. Selfishness, dead. There's a cost to the calling of God. The good news is this. What your calling costs you is everything you were never meant to hold on to in the first place. Nothing that God asks for you, from you is actually for you. You with me? Nothing that God asks from you is for you, okay? When he asks for your pride, pride's not for you. When he asks for your sin, sin is not for you. When he asks for your idols, idols are not for you. Everything God asks from you is not for you. The only things he asks from you are things that you were never meant to hold on to in the first place. There's a cost to calling. So we're going to dive into the life of Gideon, and we're going to see what things Gideon has to give over to the Lord into this, into, in order to step into the calling that God has for him. You ready? Judges chapter 6, what's happening is the Israelites are on this cycle, okay, where they get freed by the Lord, they obey him for a little while, but because things are going good, they start disobeying him again, Okay? I think some of us, me included, can relate with that. It's like things are going good. God, we're cool, right? Dip out. <laughs> what happens is they start disobeying God, and so God gives them over to their own devices and their own idols that they've been worshiping. And what happens is this group of people called the Midianites, they start taking over the, the Israelites' land, so much so that there's scarcity in the land and that the Israelites are starving. They don't have any food. And so what they do is they call out to the Lord. And because the Lord is a faithful God, he shows up every single time despite their faithlessness. So we pick up. God is raising up somebody to free the Israelites. And that person is Gideon. Now, are you ready? Beautiful. Okay. Way too long of an intro, Aaron. Get into it. Here we go. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 starts with this. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide. Everyone say to hide. To hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero. The Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. <laughs> but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I don't care about that. I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one 
Man. So not necessarily the character of a hero, I'd say. The angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon, and Gideon is doing what the rest of Israel is doing. He's hiding. He's not getting together a band or an army to go take out the Midianites. He's not sharpening his sword or weapons to get things together. He is hiding grain in a wine press so that it doesn't get stolen. He is afraid. He is hiding. And you know what the Lord shows up and says? Mighty hero. Another translation says, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. This guy is hiding away from the Midianites. He's hiding away. He's trying to store up stuff so it won't get stolen. And God shows up and says, mighty hero. I am so glad that God does not see me how I see me. I am so glad that God does not identify me by where he finds me. You with me? Because when he found me, I was hiding. I was in a dark place. I didn't know where I was going. I was insecure, I was addicted, and God saw me beyond what I was doing, beyond where he found me. He saw value in me before I saw value in myself. Come on. The Lord saw value in you before you could see it in yourself. He saw worth in you before you could see worth in yourself. He saw calling in you before you knew you had a calling. Gideon is hiding, but the Lord sees what he's called him to be. He doesn't see Gideon where he's at. He sees the potential in Gideon. He sees what he's called him to do. He sees Gideon through fresh eyes, through pure eyes as his son. And it's the same way he sees us. Come on. God sees what we can't see. Sometimes we feel dirty. We feel broken. We feel like we can never be called by God, but God still shows up and sees stuff we can't see in ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Someone say amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to be able to see me when I can't see myself. Lord shows up and he says, mighty hero. He doesn't identify him by where he finds him. And some of us have to think about the time that we were called. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 through 27. I love this. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. (laughs) Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So God shows up to Gideon, and he says, I could use that guy. He shows up to Gideon hiding away, hiding wheat in the wine press, and he says, yeah, you hiding, yeah, you afraid, yeah, you weak. I'm going to use your weakness to magnify my name. I'm going to use your weakness to bring about victory. I'm not concerned with how weak you are. I'm going to use you to show my strength. Woo! Come on. He uses weak things to shame 
The strong and Gideon has an A plus answer. Not really. Psych. Here he says this. <laughs> Verse 13 he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you, sir. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Gideon sees the reality around him and is crying out, oh yeah, the Lord's with me? Where? Can anyone relate? Oh, really? Aaron, you're going to preach the Lord is with me? Where is he? I look around me and I don't see the blessing of the Lord. I look around me, I don't see the favor of God. Where are the miracles I've heard about? Where are the, 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 the amazing works of God that my ancestors told me, that my parents told me? Where is God? Ironically, the angel of the Lord was right in front of him. Doesn't pain cause us to miss Jesus right in front of us? <sighs> Crying out, where are you, Lord? And he's in our room. Where are you, God? And he's in front of us. Why aren't you speaking, Lord? And he's speaking through your friend right in front of you. Why? Because pain, disappointment, brokenness, your situation can blind you from seeing God right in front of you. Gideon can't see God. The angel of the Lord shows up. He says, where is this God that is with me? Really? Where are you? And I love the Lord because he doesn't answer his question. <laughs> I love the Lord. Sometimes God is so frustrating. It's like, just answer my question, man. He says, where is this God? And you know what God says back to him? He says, I'm sending you. <laughs> Come on, this is powerful. Where are you, God? I'm sending you. Where have you been, God? I'm sending you. Sometimes we are crying out in disappointment to God when he is calling us to be the change for the very thing we're frustrated about. Where are you, God? I'm sending you. Where are your miracles? Why are there so many sick people? Why are there so many broken people? Where are your miracles, God? Why is this world so broken? Why is this world so messed up? And you know how God responds? I'm sending you. I put my spirit in you. I gave my authority to you. You see brokenness be the change that brings wholeness into the brokenness. You see a bunch of people sick, guess what? We've been anointed with the power of God to go pray for the sick and see them healed. You worried about people hungry? Go feed some people. Why? Because we're not waiting on God to reveal breakthrough. He has made us the breakthrough for the world. And when we're crying out, where are you, God? He's saying, I'm sending you. Don't get frustrated and angry at God when maybe the very thing you're angry about is what you're called to. The very thing you're frustrated about often is the very thing you're called to. So instead of getting frustrated, guess what? Asking why God never changed a thing. You know what does change a thing? Man, this is messed up. God, anoint me with your power so I can go be the change in the world. Come on. God's saying, I'm sending you to go do something about that. I'm sending you. Everyone say, God is sending me. Amen. Come on.
So he says this. He says, I'm sending you. And then Gideon, another A-plus reply. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Do you see Gideon's problem here? Uh, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest. I am the The problem is he is so self-focused that he's self-sabotaging. You see, if I travel down all the routes to probably the core of most of my problems, I'd say 90% of my problems, it's because I'm focused on me. I'm focused on what I need. I'm focused on what I can get out of this situation. I'm focused on how life can best work out for me. And oftentimes when my eyes are off me, life's pretty simple. Look, he's so focused on himself, I can't do this. He's so focused on where he comes from, his background, his story. Some of us in the room are so focused on what happened to us back then. What, where I come from, you, God, I can't be called from you. I can't be called by you. You don't know where I came from. You don't know what family, you don't know what tribe, you don't know what I learned growing up. I can't be called by you. You don't know, I'm not strong enough to be. Listen, God is not concerned with how weak you think you are. We just read it earlier. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And something that freed me up, I felt like I've preached it like three times now, seek night or different nights, but listen, God didn't choose us because we're strong. We got to get this through our heads. God didn't choose me because he's like, oh, yeah, you're so strong, Aaron. You're going to be a good preacher. And yeah, no, God chose me because I was insecure. I, I was messed up. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where I was heading. I had no purpose. I had no calling. And he's like, yeah, I could use that. He has... He doesn't, he's not concerned with how weak or how small. He's not concerned with your history, with your past, where you came from, because it has nothing to do with his power. Your weakness has nothing to do with how strong he is. So you can either stay self-focused on how powerful or weak you are, or you can recognize the God within you that wants to work through you to keep your eyes on the God that is within you and he ultimately is the one that brings about the calling in the first place. I've done everything to sabotage my position. It is only by the grace of God that I even get to speak today. Come on. In my own power, in your own power, you're gonna mess it up. And we all know that to be true, don't we? When we start running away from God, start doing it in our own strength, we start getting tired. When we get tired, we start resorting to other things. We start resorting to other things. We get shameful. When we get shameful, we distance ourselves from God. You with me? And then the next thing you know, you're in a whole world of sin and debauchery and all this stuff, and you didn't even mean to, and God's calling you back. Why? Because you were never meant to do it in your strength. You were never meant to do it in your own power. It's all his power, and Gideon is so self-focused that he's self-sabotaged. You with me? (laughs) He says, I'm going to be with you. 
That's the only thing that matters. When God calls you into something, that's the only thing that matters. And so what is your calling going to cost you? It's going to cost you your own insecurity. You're going to have to trade your insecurity for God's strength. You're going to have to trade your ideas about yourself and your ideas about your upbringing, your background, your family, whatever it is. You're going to have to trade all that stuff for the strength of the Lord, knowing it's not you that's doing it anyway. It's his power within you, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. You're going to have to give up your own insecurity. So God calls Gideon and he says, hey, I want you to take over the Midianites. I want you to battle the Midianites. I want you to free Israel from this land. But he has Gideon do something very, very important before he ever goes to battle. And I believe that it's the primary battle before the actual battle begins. What happens is Judges chapter 6, verse 25 through 26, the Lord comes to Gideon again, and it says, that night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, and the one, the one that is seven years old, <clears throat> get this, Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, and this is gangster, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. God's like... "Mm -mm." Letting go of your idols becomes worship unto the Lord. (laughs) You know what your calling is going to cost you? It's going to cost you your own idols and the idols of generations before you. (laughs) God is so annoying sometimes. (laughs) Sorry, Lord. Okay? Because he will not let you stay the same way as when he found you. He's frustrated sometimes because if you're really going to follow him, guess what? He's going to call some stuff out. He's going to deal with who and what you worship before him. And this is what he does for Gideon. He says, before you ever see battle, Gideon, I'm going to deal with who and what you worship. Before you ever see the battlefield, before I bring this great call through you, you got to deal with some of the idols that you got and the idols you've inherited from your family. You got to pull down your father's idol to Baal and the Asherah pole that stood beside it. And I want you to take that Asherah pole and you letting go of that Asherah pole, you want to burn that and that will become worship unto me. (laughs) You're like, what idols? The modern day golden calf. (laughs) I read this last week, Zechariah chapter 10, verse 8. The Lord says this He says, I will whistle, and my people will come running towards me, for I have redeemed them. And I was thinking, man, there's something else that whistles a lot in my life. There's, some, there's something else that dings a lot. There's something else that buzzes a lot. There's something else that catches my attention, so much so that I miss the whistle and call of the Lord in my life. 
come on, let's be real. We use this thing to entertain ourselves. We use this thing as a primary source of connection. We use this thing to rest. Right? Like, guys, and it's not just phone. I mean, it, it could be anything, anything that you worship over Jesus. Anything that has lordship, anything that you obey. Ding. <laughs> Trying to hang out with your kids. Ding. Anything that you listen to the call of. <sighs> above listening to his voice becomes an idol that the Lord, if you want to follow him, guess what? He gets frustrated sometimes and he's going to tug on poke on those things and say, no, I don't think so. Why? Because God knows if we worship lifeless things, we will become lifeless ourselves. It says in the Psalms, God says, your idols don't have ears to actually listen. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have legs or arms to move or walk. And the people that worship them become exactly like them. When you worship something that can't see, your vision gets blurry. When you worship something that can't hear, your ears get dull to the voice of God. And when you worship something that is inanimate, you become ineffective in this world to bring the kingdom of God. And so he calls us to let go of idols in our lives, not because he's mean and doesn't want us to have fun, but because he actually wants us to be full of life. And when you worship a living God, you are filled with the very life that he has. And he makes his home, and you become just as alive as the king of kings. And that's why we worship him and him alone. But some of us have received an inheritance that we did not ask for. Some of us have received idols, generational idols that we did not ask for. We have grown up in families that had idols that we did not ask for. There are things, I have amazing parents, but every single person in this room, we grew up in a somewhat of a broken system, <laughs> a broken family system. There's going to be things that rub you the wrong way. There's going to be idols. There's going to be flaws. And some of us have inherited those things, adopted those patterns and habits, and now are living into those things. And you know what God is going to do if he wants to bring out the calling in your life is he, he's going to have... You destroy the idols of your father. <sighs> He's going to have you crush the idols of generations before you. And get this, I'm not huge on generational curses because I believe Jesus became the curse once and for all, for all of us. But get this, there are patterns and habits that have been adopted through generations that I get to be a new generation for my own kids. A new healthy generation. And I've realized this, that what I heal now becomes a blessing for future generations. The problems I deal with now become the blessing of my children and their children and children beyond them. The way I follow and obey the Lord now becomes generational obedience to God. Woo! 
So what is God going to do? He's going to say, hey, yeah, all that stuff that you've inherited, all that background stuff, all that family stuff, all the stuff that you've identified with and adopted, maybe from your father, your mother, your uncle, your, you know, your great-grandparents, whatever it is, I'm going to have you burn those idols and start an entirely new way of life with me. Build up a new altar, burn that Asherah pole, and let's build this thing on the right foundation. You with me? So what's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you your idols. <laughs> Your calling is going to cost you your idols. What a fun message, amen? All right. <laughs> you guys still with me? Okay. So it goes on. <clears throat> Gideon does this. He burns these, uh, these idols. And then the battle is ahead of him. But Gideon is still unsure, right? He's this unlikely hero. He's kind of doubting a little bit. So he's like, Lord, you got to show me some signs that you're actually going to come through. So a lot of you guys, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this. He put some fleeces down. Basically, what he tells the Lord is he said, Lord, in the morning, I want this fleece to be wet, and I want everything around it to be dry. And if that happens, then I'll know that you're with me. Okay? And the Lord's very patient with these tests or whatever. Even though, yeah, never mind. Anyway, he's very patient with these tests, and he does it. And Gideon wakes up in the morning, and he says, ah, sorry, Lord, it's still not enough for me to know. So what does he do? He puts the fleece out again. He says, now I want you to switch it up, okay? That might have been a fluke. I need you to just make the, uh, the fleece not wet and everything around it wet, okay? So he's testing the Lord, which the Bible says you shouldn't do, okay? He, he's, he's testing the Lord. And so after he tests the Lord, the Lord's patient with them and it's, it's great or whatever. He gains some confidence, but then the Lord tests him, okay? If you don't test the Lord, the Lord's gonna test you, okay? Judges chapter seven, now we're in, verse two through seven. Basically, the Lord says this. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Just for some context, the Midianites, they had about 135,000 warriors. Gideon had 32,000. The Lord comes to Gideon and says, you have too many warriors. No, I don't, God. They have too many warriors. No, they don't, Gideon. You have too many warriors. You have too many warriors. Get this, it's very important. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. He says, you're gonna become prideful if you fight with 32,000. You're gonna think that it's in your own strength. So you know what I'm gonna do? Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave the mountain and go home. As a captain of, of a bunch of warriors, you would hope my men aren't afraid, they're tough. Imagine watching 22,000 of those men leave. Oh, anyone that's afraid? None of my men are afraid. They're ready for battle. They're trained for war. This is awesome. 22,000, two-thirds of your people leave. Imagine the discouragement Gideon is feeling. He's like, you too, okay? You too. Oh, okay, you guys are all going. You guys are all afraid. Awesome. Awesome. You guys are just leaving. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Right? I can't, he lost all these people. I get bummed out when one leader leaves youth ministry. I get bummed out when they're sick for a night and can't make it to middle school night. Like, I'm like, oh, no. He watched 22,000 of his men leave. And you know what the Lord says after 22,000 of them leave, leaving only 10,000 who are willing to fight? Verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. 
come on. God, you playing games. <laughs> There's still too many. And this is the weirdest thing. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water into their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with, that's so funny to me, and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands and all of the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So did God choose the 9,700? No, he says, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue and give you victory over the Midianites. God is making this victory absolutely impossible. It went from four to one odds to 400 to one odds. 135,000 to 300. God is decreasing his number of soldiers. And God, he's frustrated like this sometimes. God, why are you taking away my men? I'm trying to fight these 135,000 guys and you're gonna send me into battle with 300? Sometimes the cost of our calling, it's gonna cost us our own sense of lack in our lives. You see, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. And God is showing Gideon, listen, this is not going to be through your own strength. This is not going to be through your own might. This isn't going to be through the men or the soldiers that you have. This battle is mine, and I'm going to prove it to you by making it absolutely impossible for you to win this victory without me. Think about Jesus, man. It, he doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Five loaves, two fish. Feeding 5,000. Where are we going to get the bread, God? We only have this boy here who's got five loaves and two fish. God says, I can work with that. God says, I can do that. He brings manna down from heaven. Bread doesn't come from the sky, guys. Just want to point that out there. A little factoid for you, Okay. He brings manna from heaven. He brings water from the rock. He creates ex nihilo, it's called. He creates out of nothing, which means he doesn't need anything to make something happen. He doesn't need your strength. He doesn't need what you have. He doesn't need you to have a lot. He can do a lot with a little. He's not afraid of your lack. And if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to strip you down until all you have is him. So all you have is him to where you can't count on your own strength anymore. You can't count on your own money anymore. You can't count on your own skills or talents. God will make it sure that he is the only one you should be drawing from as your strength and support. He will make it sure. It's going to cost you your own sense of lack that he's actually able to provide and to win the victory without your effort and without your soldiers. He's like, Gideon, it doesn't matter if there's three guys. I could take down this entire army at the snap of my fingers. It doesn't matter how little you think you have. It matters how big your God is. (sighs) 
Some of us get so focused and we allow it to paralyze us how little we have. I don't have enough money. I don't know I have enough time. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough fill in the blank. God specializes in making not enough more than enough. He doesn't need you to have it all together. He doesn't need you to have all of the money in the world. He doesn't need you to have all the talent in the world. He just needs somebody who's willing to obey his voice when he calls. Hmm. And we have a tendency, I have a tendency, I'll speak for myself, to give my own self the glory when things go good. You know when things are going bad and you're like, Lord, I need your help. And then things start going good and you're like, yeah, it's because of my obedience. How quickly that shifts, right? It's like, God, I need you. I have nothing. And then things start to go good because you start listening to God. And then you're like, dang, if I wasn't faithful, then none of this would happen. It's like, bro, you weren't faithful before. You ain't faithful now. It's not because of you. It's because of the faithfulness of Yahweh. It's not because you have it together. It's because of the goodness of our God. And God's saying, if I didn't strip all this away, you would think that it was your own doing, your own strength, your own character, your own goodness in yourself. He's like, no, I won't allow my children to think that way. Because that leads to pride, and pride leads to separation, and pride leads to religion, and pride leads to all manner of disgusting things in this life. And he's saying, I won't allow my kids to not be dependent on me. The mark of maturity in a believer is not independence. It is dependence on God. It is, I need you more now than I did yesterday, and I'll need you more in a month than I need you now because I recognize how little I have and how much I need God. You got to let go of your own sense of lack. Got to keep going. We're going late. Okay, here we go. You guys settled? You guys good? Okay, we got two more here, okay? Uh, Judges chapter 7, verse 11 through 15. So basically what happens is God takes away, there's only 300 men, and then he says, rise up, go, into, uh, go and take Midian, right? And he says, but if you're afraid, I want you to go do something. So God's really caring, caring for Gideon here. And in verse 11, it says this. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. He took one of his right-hand guys and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. That means there was a lot of them. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. This is a big army, okay? Gideon crept up. I love the timing of God. Just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. Seems like the sovereignty of God. The man said, I had this dream, and in my, lo in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. A dream about a loaf of bread? Hitting a tent? And the guy's like, that can only have one meaning. I'm like, you ate bad pizza, bro. Like, 
What, what, that was the weirdest dream ever. But you know what God has Gideon do? He says, hey, if you don't already think after all that I've done that we're going to win this victory, I need you to go into the enemy camp and listen to what the enemy is saying. If only we as believers could listen in to what the enemy is saying about us. Come on, I believe this has fire. God, the devil, he's not afraid of nominal believers. He's not afraid of Sunday Christians. But he is afraid of sons and daughters of God. And I think that if we could get to the edge of the enemy camp and listen in to what the devil and all his minions are saying, they would be saying stuff like, man, if that kid just gets a hold of what God has called him to be, we are done for. Man, if that, if that guy, if he just turns, he's starting to get to that place where he's stopping complaining to God and he's actually realizing the spirit of God is in him to make a change in his world. If that happens, we are done for. He's saying, if they actually realize who they are and whose they are and who lives inside of them, we are done for. I wonder if God is calling us to the edge of the enemy camp to listen in to what the devil might be saying about us. (laughs) Why? Because he who lives in us is greater than he who is in the world. God's not afraid of you. Don't get it twisted. He's not afraid of me. He's not afraid of pastors. He is afraid of the God within us. He trembles. He shakes in his boots. He pees his pants, if I could say that. He gets scared of God. And when we recognize that God lives inside of us, the kingdom of darkness trembles. So he listens to this dream and it encourages him and he realizes that the enemy already believes that they're defeated. So he says, men, it's time to go into battle, okay? Oh, the last one, or number four, was it's gonna cost you your fear if you were taking notes, but... Because I will say this, hold on, sorry. Okay, I will say this. Now, I feel like I've talked about this a lot is that when God wants me to heal, he always asks me to get close to the very thing I'm afraid of. Imagine Gideon seeing that swarm of locusts. Imagine seeing all those camels like seas, like sands on the seashore. And God says, you know what you have to do in order to hear what the enemy is doing? You gotta get close to the enemy camp. (laughs) You gotta get close to what's hurting you. You gotta get close to the pain. You gotta allow God into those spaces of fear for you. And it just might be in you embracing Jesus in those dark spaces that he reveals his light and brings healing. So you got to let go of your own fear, step into the calling of God. And the last one, Judges chapter 7, verse 19 through 22, says this. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him, so he splits the 300 men into three groups of hundred men, reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Bethshitta near Zerirah <laughs> and to the border of Abomeholah <laughs> near Tabah. Sorry, yeah, 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 tried my best there, okay? Listen, clay jars, torches, and ram's horns. 300 guys against 135,000 soldiers equipped with actual weapons, and God calls them to go up with clay jars, torches, and ram's horns. This doesn't make any sense. These are not weapons, God. What am I supposed to do with a ram's horn, clay jars, and torches? The last thing that your calling is going to cost you is your own understanding. <laughs> See, God's ways don't make any sense sometimes. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I don't get why God calls us to do certain things in the ways that he calls us to do them. It's out of the box. It's out of the ordinary. We like things. Again, I'll speak for myself. I like things neat, orderly, tidy, put together. Give me the play-by-play, -play, God. Show me exactly how this is going to work out. And then I meet an army of 135,000. He says, go out with these clay jars. It'll be awesome. <laughs> go out with torches and ram's horns. Why? Because God doesn't need your weapons either. He doesn't need your strategies for the battle. In fact, most often when we rely on our own understanding, we miss God's understanding and his battle strategy. We miss his way to actually step into victory in our life. We miss his wisdom when we rely on our own understanding. And God is asking us to trade our own understanding for trust in him. For saying, God, I don't get it. I don't know why, one, that you would strip down my entire army. I don't get why you would lead us into battle without actual weapons. But what does it say? It says that the Lord caused them to panic and the army actually started battling themselves. They didn't have to lift up a sword. They didn't have to kill somebody. They literally, all they had to do was be obedient to God. And in his wisdom, the victory was won for Israel. I guess what I'm saying is, where are you holding on to your own understanding and the way that things have to be? the way that you want them to play out? How many of us try and control our lives and say, if I just get a better grasp on what's happening and I just organize and strategize? There's nothing wrong with being a strategist. There's nothing wrong with planning, but there is something wrong with rejecting the understanding of the Lord for our own plans. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and lean not on your own understanding. 
Lean not on your own ways, your own patterns, your own habits. Let going, letting go of your understanding and trading it for genuine trust in what the Lord is doing. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team back up. Jesus does this, or God does this all the time. He does things out of the ordinary, right? He does things out of the box. This is kind of reminiscent of Jericho. Here's what I want you to do to take down Jericho. I want you to travel around the whole castle or building for seven days. What is that going to do, God? You'll see. <laughs> Paul and Silas worshiping in prison and all of the walls fall down because of their worship? Sometimes what God does does not make any sense. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, it's actually better that I leave you guys. Really, Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. He says, yeah, it's actually better that I leave because if I don't leave, I can't send the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then just think of the cross. God is going to conquer death by dying. <laughs> if you rely on your own wisdom, that doesn't make any sense. The Israelites had their own view of what they wanted Jesus to do. They wanted him to conquer. They wanted him to rule. They wanted to come, him to come with a strong hand. But Jesus came in humility. He came as one called by God in submission to God. There was nothing about him in his appearance that people would take notice of him. He didn't come to be set up as a king. He was born literally to die. That was the wisdom of God to send his son so that his son would die and in Jesus dying, conquer death for us all. Woo! I don't know about you, but I would not think that plan up in my own mind. And this is what the scriptures say, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I love this. This foolish plan of God, he's talking about the cross, He's saying it's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense to most people. But this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So what's God saying? He's saying, listen, I know that you don't get it, but I need you to trust me that my wisdom is way beyond yours. I know you don't understand. I know you feel weak. I know you feel disqualified, but my strength is way greater than your strength. My weakness is greater than your greatest weakness. My foolishness is greater than your greatest attempts at being wise. And this is what God does, is he sends his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to die on the cross. It didn't look like he had the victory, but little did Satan know and little did his disciples know or anyone around him that his death would bring salvation to all. Come on. God doesn't need a lot to do a lot in your life. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> but I do believe this morning he wants to bring 
some of that salvation goodness. I believe there's some people in here that need to receive the Holy Spirit, that needs to receive a, a relationship with God, that need to step in to what God has maybe been tugging at you and calling for you for a while now. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you. And so if we could just bow our heads, pray together. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you're present in this place, Jesus. And God, I just ask that you would open up hearts. If there's anyone in the room that wants to receive Jesus or step into relationship with him, I ask that you would bring that breakthrough and that transformation, that change right now. You would open up their hearts. And if that's you and you're just saying, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready for sin to be forgiven. I'm ready to step into something new, step into my calling. I don't care about the cost. I want to lay it down. If that's you, can you just raise your hand right now? Amen. Thank you. Right here up in the front. Amen. Anybody else? If you're just ready. Amen. There's two right here. Am I right? Thank you. Right here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep your hand up high so I can see you. That'd be awesome. And we just have somebody that wants to come by you and pray with you. You know, you just take that hand, put it on your heart. And you can just repeat something simple like this after me. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again to new life so that I could have new life. Thank you for the gift of eternal life with you. Thank you for the gift of relationship. And I invite your Holy Spirit to dwell within my heart. Change me. Transform me. Make me new. For all my days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we need to celebrate those five or six people that just gave it life to you. Amen. Yeah. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to praise God with one more song. Thank you, Center Point Church.